create with France Sydney. Hello everyone, welcome to the show. This is Franz Sydney speaking to you. We're here with episode 143 and we are going to talk today to Stephen Blake and he will tell us a lot of interesting things about chronic pain. Does anyone here have chronic pain? Maybe you had a disease, maybe you had an accident and after many years you still have that pain and you wonder, am I going to be on painkillers all my life? Am I going to be always disabled? Sometimes it's the case that you do not need to suffer from this pain for the rest of your life. And so Stephen is my guest today. He's an expert from Lincoln in the UK and he is more than welcome to be in the show. So hello, Stephen. Hello there. Thanks for inviting me. Yes, I'm very, very pleased. I found Stephen in a hypnotherapy summit. Was it probably November last year? Yeah, I think so, yeah. Yeah, it was hypnotherapy summit, Chris and all these hypno gurus. And I was like, oh, that's so good. I really have to talk to this guy. And so he finally got back to me. And I'm so eager because, you know, and a lot of people around us, well, I can't do this because I have chronic pain. I can't do that. And I'm like, why are we stuck with this pain? And I've done a CBT course about that and how chronic pain is a habitual thing and the brain works in a way and we have to pass that threshold. So I thought, right, you know, Stephen is the person. So tell us a little bit maybe about your background. How did you get to be who you are? And then we move on to the chronic pain. All right. Okay. So most of my life I wanted to be a hypnotherapist, but I didn't train until 12 years ago. And uh, 12 years ago, uh, when I trained in it, I got myself out of pain that I'd been in from the age of eight. And, uh, um, so I was in pain from the age of eight till 58. And I've been free of that pain now for 12 years. I'm 70 now. Um, and it, it was, I adapted a, a method I was taught of it, it, it was spiritually for everything, but I, I adapted it before I even used it and it got me free of pain. And so I've been developing it ever since. And it, I, I just worked on the basis that chronic pain isn't needed. Uh, acute pain is. Anything that gets you away from something hot or sharp is a good idea. Um, but when you've had it for three months and it carries on, I've never found yet, and I've, I've helped thousands of people, I've never found anybody yet where there is a need for the pain to continue, even if they've still got an injury. That's incredible. How does that work? Uh, what do you do exactly with, with this pain? You, you see, uh, if, uh, I'll just do a quick understanding of pain. Pain is actually a message from the brain. Pain isn't where we think it is. So if you hurt your knee, it's not the knee giving pain off. The knee tells the brain there's damage. The brain, combined with everything it knows about what's happened, gives you the right level of pain to stop you putting weight on it, or to get you to go to the hospital, or get you to put a Band-Aid on it, whatever damage is done, it's calculated by the brain, and then the brain makes that message. And it's just a message that says, take action. So you can imagine if you're touching something hot or sharp, you get that brilliant instant reaction of move away from it. When you've done the damage, you look at your hand or whatever you've hurt and you see if there's a blister there, if it's a burn or if there's blood or whatever. And you calculate from that if you've done a lot of damage. And the more damage you've done, the more pain it gives you. 
but it's really calculated by your brain for you. So it's made for you, by you. So there isn't such a thing as it's all in your mind, but every bit of pain is made in the brain. And therefore, when we, uh, when we want to get rid of pain, and it's chronic pain, and it's no longer needed, my, my thought was, well, why do we have painkillers that interfere with the message? So if, if the doctor says, well, you've got this for the rest of your life, you know, it, it'll get worse and worse and worse until you die, which it actually does, but it's not a great message. Um, why don't we interfere? Why do we interfere with that message from the brain going down to the part of you when we could just tell the brain it's not needed and it would turn it off? And, and that's the simplicity of it. It literally is finding out why it thinks it's protecting you and then doing a thing I call brain bargaining. So you actually have a little internal sort of uh, discussion saying, well, why are you doing this? And, you know, why do you think this is protecting them? Because it's, it's not protecting them. It's making their life worse. It's stopping them moving about, which means they put on weight, which means the joints have more weight on them, which makes them worse. You know, you've got them in a wrong way round sort of cycle of doing things. And, and once the brain realises it's not helping them with pain, the only option is to turn it off. Um, and it's, it's something most people haven't looked at yet. Even the, the, uh, the best pain scientists in the world, they understand that the brain makes the pain, but they're all looking at physical ways of then stopping that happening instead of looking at asking it nicely. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, you're describing a little bit of parts therapy when you're seeing what's the, yeah. the role of his, of his pain, yeah? So, does it work with all pains? Like, for example, if I broke a leg or had a really strong leg injury, let's say a year ago, so I bumped into something really hard, so there was a bruise, there was a real pain, and it was swollen. And then after a year, I'm fine. However, I still have a lingering pain where the leg was hurt. So that, uh, that would qualify as chronic pain? Absolutely. That, that would probably be one of the easiest things we deal with. But because you, you can see that with logic-wise, if I, if I tell you that everything in your body heals within about six or seven weeks, even if you've broken a bone, it would be better in seven weeks. So if, if you exaggerate that out and call it 12 weeks, that's when it becomes chronic pain. And when a doctor says you've got chronic pain, what they're actually saying is, you've got pain, but we don't know why. That, that's, that's what chronic pain means. It's, it's like, well, there's nothing there anymore causing this. Um, you know, it's an old injury and, you know, you'll just have to manage it. Well, no, you don't have to manage it. You can get rid of it. But, but you've got to have that internal discussion. You've got to get your conscious mind and your unconscious mind both believing it would be a good idea if it went. And once both sides of the, the brain are onto that, then it has no option but to go. So um, it even works for ongoing conditions like arthritis and things. Because once you know you've got arthritis and you've been diagnosed it, why would you need a pain message every day saying, hey, remember you've got arthritis? You could just remember it, couldn't you? Why, why do you need a message every day? Yeah, so if, for example, I become very large, if I can you imagine me becoming obese, but I could become obese, and then my hip or both hips could be hurting a lot, yeah. and I would be told you have arthritis because of your weight, 
but the, the arthritis is because of a friction and the weight. So how could I tell the body you're not in danger anymore? Because I'm still putting my weight on that. Yeah, it, it, but you see, then that sort of yeah, it's, it's almost cart before the horse. Because let, let, let me give you a good uh, a good a good story that will um, help. Um, I. I had a woman phone me one day from Holland and I think she got through to somebody I'd trained and they said, oh, Stephen occasionally does free work. And she phoned me and got through and she was so so much in shock. And I think she wanted the sympathy. I don't think she wanted to get better. <clears throat> so um, she just goes, oh, Stephen, you know, I've got this terrible arthritis of the knee and, and you know, and you can't help me really, but, you know, it'd be nice to have a chat. And I said, no, I can help you. And uh, I said, uh, so what's the problem? She said, well, um, I'm overweight. I said, oh, you're overweight. And is that what's causing you knee pain? She said, yes. I said, why is it one knee? Are you only heavy on one side? And she went, well, no. She said, but I am menopausal. I said, oh, are you only menopausal down one side? Um, oh, well, I am quite elderly now. Are you only elderly down one side? <laughs> And she kept running out of excuses. And in the end, I said, well, there's no reason to keep it then, is there? And she said, well, no. And she was in so much shock that even though I don't think she really wanted to let go of it, the pain went. <laughs> so, so you see, a good logical argument for what you just put to me is if you're so overweight that you're hurting, uh, you're hurting your hips, then having pain there that stops you exercising is now just going to trap you in that. So if it would release you from the pain of the overweight bit, you'd have a chance to exercise to lose the weight so you didn't have the problem anymore. So that would be part of the brain bargaining to actually say, here's a good thing. If I promise to lose weight, will you take me out of the pain? And then it would say yes, and then you'd have to keep your end of the bargain and, and actually do the exercise and do things. But you'd be quite happy to do so because you've probably not been mobile for a while. Incredible. Yeah. So, do you do all this through a hypnotic treatment? It's it's from the basis of hypnosis, but uh, there are a few people out there who are quite wrongly frightened of hypnosis. Hypnosis is a, is a fantastic thing, um, but people have the wrong idea that you're going into their head or doing you might do some harm or whatever. Uh, and so, I sort of bypass how hypnosis works. Because with hypnosis, the, the client's telling you what they, what they don't want instead of what they do want. And then we correct it as, as therapists if we go in under trance. And we all almost act as though we're them, we're their conscious mind. So we put in the correct things for it to do. But why don't we just tell the person how to correct the language that they're telling to their own subconscious? And then it's under their command, so we don't need to go in at all. So I, I don't need trance anymore to work. So I'm, I'm doing what you do with uh, hypnosis, but I don't need hypnosis anymore. Um, and, it, and it works really well, and people like it, and there's a logic there. And it's also getting clients to work on themselves. So um, whilst I like my clients, I do actually say to people, I'm just seeing you this once. I don't want to see you ever again. And I see them in one session. I never see them again. And if I do, I see them out and about and they're still free of pain. 
Um, but I don't, I don't have several sessions with people. If I can't help them in one session, then I can't help them. It's as simple as that. Yeah. So is it possible that for one person, they have a special session, but they're not ready to let go of the pain, so the pain remains because it still has that purpose? It, it never has a purpose. Chronic pain never has a purpose. It has, it, has, it, has, it has an idea of what it thinks is the purpose. So it's, it's my job to extract that from people. So I'm very good at getting people to tell me what's happening, even though they don't know consciously. There's a, there's a little thing I do. It's not going to give it away, even if it's clients. But when I meet, when I meet a client, I, first of all, I ask them if they want to be pain-free. And from that, I can make a judgment of that if they really want to, or there's something holding them back. So I get a chance to work on that, to say, you don't sound very enthusiastic about it. You know, what, what, why are you um, hesitating? Yeah, and it might just be that they don't believe it's going to work. In which case I can say, you know, well, you don't have to believe it. You just have to want it. And then we can get back in there. But then all I say is, briefly, tell me the problem. And usually people have this thing that they've got to tell you everything about it. And so they've got about two hours worth of uh, detail to tell you. And of course, if you tell that to a therapist, it's going to cost you two hours worth of therapist time. And you're going to tell them 10 times more than what you need to tell them. But if you say to somebody, briefly tell me the problem, they have to quickly condense that two hours worth down into the next few sentences. Now, the conscious mind isn't capable of doing that. So what I end up doing is I get their unconscious through them talking to me for the next three or four sentences. So they reel off things. And it's quite funny, really, because they'll, they'll sit there and they'll look quite confused about what they're telling you. So they'll say something like, I don't know why I'm telling you this. And then they tell me something and it's really the key to it. So they don't have to know what, why they're holding on to it. So there's two reasons, really. One is the reason, how did this thing happen? How did you get the injury in the first place? And the second one is, well, why are they holding on to it? And, and that's the bit for me to find out, just from the experience of working with thousands of people, really. But Incredible. it works most of the time. I mean, it's very rare for me not to be able to help somebody. So is there any type of pain that cannot be helped? Well, you wouldn't work on pain that's still needed. You know, if, if somebody's broken their leg, you wouldn't want to turn the pain off just to get them to the hospital because they put weight on it and the bone would go through the skin and all that sort of thing. But So we don't work on acute pain. So uh, I train everybody that they can only work on people if they've been diagnosed for what it is. And it's been more than 12 weeks since it should have started healing. Oh, I see. It's anything. Uh, and, it, and it works on um, rashes and allergies and hay fever and all sorts of things. You, you can literally talk people out of hay fever in 10 minutes. Oh, tell me more. I was just talking to a friend yesterday and he was like, oh, I go with hay fever sometimes. And then it disappears and it comes back. I'm like, oh, that's really weird. I never heard of hay fever coming and going. So how do you let it go? You ask the body, what's the purpose of that? The, um, well, with hay fever, let's take hay fever for instance. So 
there's always a logic to it. Now, if you think about hay fever, one in 10 people in the UK have hay fever. But, but that means nine out of 10 don't have it. So it can't be the pollen that's the problem. It, it can only be the person's response to the pollen that's the problem. So quite often we start with hay fever when we're younger and quite often at school and it comes around the same time as we have exams when we're stressed. So we get stressed, which lowers the immune system. And then we see this thing coming in, this pollen, as an irritant. Now, it's a very mild irritant, I think, probably in everybody. But nobody really notices it. The other nine out of ten don't notice it. But for this person, it becomes a real irritant. So they make lots of snot and tears to flush it out. And then if it comes at exam time, they might be so bad they can't do the exams with everybody else. So they get two weeks extra to learn the material and then they get a room on their own to sit in doing the exam. So suddenly there's a massive advantage in having this hay fever at the same time each year and getting out of your exams. And, and even there's things like bragging rights. You know, if you're not very bright, uh, but you can say to me, you know, oh, I've come to see you, I've got hay fever. Uh, and this was actually said to me once. There was 500 kids in our school, and I had the worst hay fever of all of them. And that's a bit like coming top in hay fever. I was rubbish at everything else, but hay fever I could do really well. <laughs> and it, you see, and sometimes there's just a connection to it. So I, I helped a young lad with hay fever once. And he'd arrived on his motorbike and a crash out and everything else he had. And um, I said, does this stop you doing anything you like doing? And he said, well, no. And I said, oh, now there's a hesitation there. What, 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 do you, what does it stop you doing? And he said, well, just my motorbike. Um, I said, because I get wet eyes and snot and things like that. And I have to blow my nose and I have to wipe my eyes and I put my crash helmet on. And six miles down the road, I have to stop take the crash helmet off, dry my eyes, blow my nose and carry on. I can't do long journeys. And I said, how long has it been really bad, your hay fever? And he said, oh, about three years now. I said, so tell me about your motorbike crash. And he said, oh, she told you, did she? I said, no, the person who was paying for it. I said, no, you just told me. He said, I didn't just say anything. I said, I didn't say you told me. <laughs> I didn't say you said it. I just said you told me. So he said, yeah, I had a motorbike crash. So what's happened is he's hit a car. He's gone spinning through the air, probably thinking he's going to die. Uh, lands on the floor of the other side. He's not too badly injured. So what it's done is it's given him hay fever so that he has to restrict the riding of the motorbike that might kill him. So it's just a safety system. I had to talk about him getting his driving license and driving a car eventually and uh, will you do that as soon as possible he said yes i want your unconscious then to understand you will drive your motorbike safely from now on won't you and he said yes i said so it can back off now and it cleared up instantly it, it, it literally stopped sniffing and he had clear sinuses instantly incredible so what if we have a parents and the children and they all have hay fever so would they all have their own different reason why they have it? Isn't it weird that you have a parent and then the children are born, boom, hay fever as well. So yeah. 
we, we learn a lot of things when we're children and we don't, we're not, until we're six, we don't have a fully developed conscious mind. So if we see things going on in the house, we mimic it or the body mimics it. So you're not actually saying, oh, I'd like a bit of that hay fever. You just see it happening and you wonder why you haven't got it. And then your brain sort of goes into, well, let me see if I can produce it so that you've got it because you seem to be asking for it. So it, it'll do that and you, you can mimic some terrible illnesses with it. Um, so the same household, I mean, people start talking about things being hereditary and yet your genetics is only a code that sort of builds you. It's like a blueprint for a house. You get the blueprint of how you want it, but then when you're building it, you move things a bit and you put a window in a different place and you move the doors around. Yeah, and you can do that with genetics because it's, it's not fixed. It's not fixed at all. It, it's just, this is the tendency towards something. And so people, people even worry that they're gonna die at the same age their parents did. Um, but they do, they, they come to me for, for anxiety treatment work, where they say, well, my father died at 57 and I'm 57 next year, I'm, I'm gonna die. And his father died at 57. And, and, and it's almost like they put this curse on themselves. It's, it, I mean, it's ridiculous, because my grandma died at, uh, I think she was 67, and my mother lived till uh, 96. You know, and her dad died at quite young as well. Yeah, uh, it's incredible. I mean, I know that the mind is really powerful. And one of the stories I love sharing is from Rachel Farnsworth, one of my RTT colleagues. And she is, has become a specialist in autoimmune disease. And so much of it is very emotional. And the first example that she had when she was just training in RTT, her daughter was healed from her own juvenile idiopathic arthritis that she had since she was a toddler. And she was now, I think, 12, 9 or 12 years old. So she had it for many years. She was on medication. She was so much in pain. She was almost in a wheelchair. And so Rachel had just trained and she said, well, let's practice on you as I need practice. And when we did the recession, the recession, the um, you know regression of when the pain started, it turned out that the older brother of his baby, the daughter, was always ill in and out of hospital, doctors, and the little cousin, I think he had something. I don't know if it was leukemia or something, but he was in and out of hospital. So this little toddler said, "Oh, that's normal. All kids have some disease that they're always in and out of hospital." So she produced all these pains, and the doctors could not diagnose a thing. And then eventually, they go, "Ah, you got arthritis," and it was getting worse and worse. And she hated the medication. And once we did the session, and that must have been at least five years ago. Everything went, the pain went, and then they went back to the hospital a year later, and the doctor said, you have no markers, nothing. I cannot see any sign of arthritis here. Whatever you're doing, keep doing it. And since then, Rachel has been specializing in doing work with people like that, because, yes, sometimes there are physical conditions, but sometimes our incredible mind is creating all this stuff and just, like, it's mind-blowing. <laughs> mind-blowing. I was training somebody once and his wife had died 25 years before of an illness that only one in every nine million people get. And he'd got the same illness. Now, you can't catch it and uh, you can't inherit it from your wife. 
So I was amazed that you could have two people in the same house, both with the same one in nine million dollars. So I thought they must have met through a support group or something. And he said, no, I got it um, uh, nine, um, I got it about nine months before my wife died. And I said, oh, you haven't got it. And he said, it's, it's very painful, Stephen. Uh, and there's only four doctors in the world can diagnose it. And all four have diagnosed me with it. I said, but you haven't got it. And he said, I'm getting angry now, Stephen. He said, I'm in pain. I'm in absolute agony. And you're telling me I've got it. I said, no, because I know from how you said that, that you really loved your wife. And you still, you, you talked about it like you died yesterday. And I said, you really love your wife. And I know what you said in your head to your wife before she died. And he said, what? And I said, you said, if I could take this off you, I would. And this guy cried for about five minutes and he said, how the hell do you know that? And I said, because if I love my wife that much, I would have said it. And I said, what you've, what you've done is your body's mimicked it. Because you, you wanted to feel that you took it off your wife and the best way was to mimic it in you because you had such a powerful emotion about not losing her and wanting to sort of, you know, take it off her that you did in many respects. But you don't need to now. And, she, and she's been gone 25 years and it, it didn't help her and it didn't help you. So do you want to let go of it now? And 20 minutes later, it was gone. And he's had it 25 years. So the, the brain, if the brain can mimic that, and that was the killing off of blood vessels, starting with the fine blood vessels and then going to your arteries and veins and killing them. And his body managed to mimic that just from his strength of feelings about his wife. That was incredible. I, I always said our mind is like incredible. We have six minutes left. Could you give some tips to our audience? Yes, I'll... Um... I'll, I'll give one massive one in the technique because we've only just got the time for that. So here's what happens now. Whether this is pain, physical or emotional, or you feel an anxiety coming on or suddenly anger, if you allow it to come on, your body shape will change and everything and you'll join in with it. So when you get that trigger that changes your mood into a mood you don't want, here's all you need to do. I'm just going to move forward on my chair because it's got arms on it. You'll see why in a minute. All you have to do is, as soon as you feel your mood changing or pain coming on, you look around and you say, am I in danger? Yeah, so someday you'll be triggered and it will be that there's danger there and you need to fight or flight. So you look around, is anything actually going to harm me? No. You make a very firm no. Then you say, I'm safe. And when you say I'm safe, you soften your body. Now, the body's trying to, the brain's trying to trigger you off that you're in danger and you need to join in with it. When you don't and you're, you've checked it out, it has to reconsider the trigger. So instead of filling you up with all the terrible uh, uh, chemicals and hormones that it does, it has to sort of go back on itself and go, no, they're all right. And the easy way, easiest way to soften your body, and you can all join in at home with this, is bring your shoulders forward lift them right up in the air, brush them back as far as you can, and then let them drop there. Now, when you get there, you'll feel quite sort of proud and, and strong, and, and you certainly won't feel in danger. And it's that change of body shape that stops you joining in with this pain, fear, or whatever it is. 
So it's first of all, look around, am I in danger? No, I'm safe. And then you change into this, I'm safe. And, and it can't possibly send that thing out to you then. Incredible. Yeah. Thank you so much. That's a great tip, guys. And if you want more tips, please reach Stephen. Do you have a website you would like to tell yes, us about? Yes, it's oldpaintogo.com. Old pain. So we've a P yeah. is capital and the two is a number two. To old pain to go. You put that in a Google search, it will come out. You also yeah, have a website on. Do you have like a Facebook page as well? Uh, yes, there's a Facebook page which is old pain to go public uh, that people can join. Now. That's wonderful. So people can talk in there. That would be nice. Yeah. And I've been talking to you. Now we're not close, guys. But um, are we going to talk next time about fibromyalgia? Yes. Yes. I've, I've specialized for a few years in fibromyalgia. I've helped. Approximately 3,000 people get better now. 3,000. Guys, 3,000 people. That's um, So if you guys are suffering from any chronic pain or fibromyalgia or anything similar, you know where to go because, you know, Stephen has it all. So thank you so much for being with us today. And um, I hope you guys enjoyed this episode and maybe you would like to share it with somebody and write a review of a podcast, of course, and go visit Stephen's old pain to go and ask him for a session and maybe you will be you know it's your day to be released from this pain that your body was really holding on so much thank you steven i'll see you later and thank you take care all right guys thank you again and i'll see you all next week take care bye you've listened to create with france sydney